morning, everybody. Can we do a round of applause for everybody who sets up and cleans up? Outdoor services is a lot of work. And some of you may have just clapped for yourself because you may help clean up, so we're thankful for that. Uh, We are in a series uh, in 2 Corinthians called The Cruciform Life. We're looking at this life shaped by the cross. And for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about generosity. Uh, This week will be a little bit more abstract, big picture. It's good. You're outside. You can let your imagination flow. And then next week, we'll get a little bit more specific, maybe a little bit more practical. But that's where Paul's letter takes us. We're going to be in chapter 8 this week and chapter 9 next week. Uh, And it's really kind of the occasion for the letter. If you ever get into studying the Bible, it's kind of fun. Like, who wrote this book of the Bible and why did they write it? Uh, We call that the, the occasion for writing the letter. And while we've been looking at Paul's relationship with the Corinthians and his defense of his gospel, and as we'll really focus in the last few chapters of weakness, the weakness, the cruciformity of his gospel, um, he really wrote the letter because he had a bigger project and he was sending Titus to Corinth, and because he was sending Titus to Corinth to help complete his project, he could send a letter. You know, they didn't have emails or the postal service like we do today. This bigger project you need to know a little bit about before we dive into our text, it's called the collection. And so uh, in, in this time, uh, there was a famine in Israel and in Jerusalem, and the churches, and, well, the people in Jerusalem were struggling. They didn't have all that they needed. And Paul, being an apostle to the Gentiles, uh, he got really excited. He got this great idea, maybe even Holy Spirit-inspired idea to take all the churches that he had planted and have them, if they were willing, give a gift to the struggling churches dealing with this famine in Jerusalem. And for Paul, it just kept going. Not only would it meet a physical need of brothers and sisters in Christ, but it would be this bigger picture of something that the whole biblical story had been building towards, of this unity of one people, Jews and Gentiles, coming together to worship God. And so what Paul was going to do is he was going to collect money And he was going to have a representative of each church go with. It's kind of like an entourage, partly for safety purposes, partly to carry the money. You know, they didn't have an armored truck. And for Paul, theologically, this he was so excited to see what would happen when the Gentile churches sent multiple representatives of multiple churches back to Jerusalem with this amazing needed gift. What would that represent and what would that do? And so Paul's sending Titus ahead to get the church in Corinth ready so that when Paul gets there, they're ready. Uh, If you've never heard of the collection before, he he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 16 and in Romans 15. It kind of flows through his letters. We're going to read through 2 Corinthians 8. It's a longer chapter, and I'll make a few comments as we go. And then I really want to push us a little bit to to think differently, um, to think like Jesus about generosity and what it means to live in this world. Well, Paul picks up in chapter 8. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God and his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So God has done an act of grace for these churches in Macedonia. It's where Paul is right now. They are being tested by many troubles. So God is being kind to them, but their circumstances aren't good. And he also says, and they're very poor. They don't have a lot of money. But they are filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed into rich generosity. Again, this is this, you'll hear this theme of generosity all the way through the chapter. 
Paul says, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And be sure they did it of their own free will. They, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. It was a gift to them that they could give to those in need. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. I think that's key. We'll may even, that may even be your response this morning, to give yourselves first to the Lord and see what he does in your heart towards generosity. Verse 6, so we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. We've talked about this. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. And Paul's very clear. I mean, if you've been with us, there is tension in the relationship, and he's pretty clear on how he's trying to handle this. And I also just think it's, it's just cool to see, like, he... He doesn't use some of these other levers that sometimes get used um, by people holding power. He's very, he's very open-handed. I'm not commanding you to do this. But I am. He's honest. He is challenging them. I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. In other words, there's a sense that, that Paul is saying, I have seen what a Christ-like community looks like when there's a need. I've witnessed it. Even, even a community that is, that is very poor and facing difficult circumstances, I've seen their generosity. <laughs> and because I've seen it, I know what it looks like. And so if, if God is moving in your midst, then I know what you'll do because this is what Christ's followers do. They live lives of generosity. And Paul is going to do what I'm going to try to do this morning. He is going to point them to Jesus. Jesus is always our example. Why would we do this? What does it look like? What's our motivation? Our answer is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Verse 9, you, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is this marvelous, theological, tiny, simple piece of poetry that is worth memorizing if you've never come across this verse before. Though he was rich, though Jesus was rich, and he's talking about Jesus in heaven, in the heavenlies, with the Father and the Spirit, in, in perfect harmony. He's using an economic metaphor, but it's so much beyond economics, right? Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, for our sakes, Jesus became poor, so that by his poverty, through his poverty, he could make you rich. He could make us rich. That's that's this beautiful summation of the gospel in the heart of God. That Jesus has everything you could ever possibly imagine in one in, in this intimate relationship with the Father and the Spirit. Security, safety, I mean just beauty, everything. And he, because as we talk about economics, because he values us. Because as Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus does not consider equality with God as something to be taken advantage of or something to be used for his own advantage, Jesus leaves the richness of heaven and enters into the poverty of earth, the brokenness of our broken, rebellious world. And he goes to the extreme example of poverty, death on a cross. But it's by this, it's through this, it's through this poverty, Jesus on the cross, that you and I are then welcomed into the heavenlies. We're invited into the very presence of God. It's a, it's a beautiful story. So, so Paul is pointing them to Jesus. The reason we live like this is because of Jesus and what he's done for us and what he's capable of doing 
if we come to him, if we run to him, if we, if we trust in him. Trusting in him is a big piece of what we'll talk about this morning. And so Paul is going to kind of pastor them, lead them, guide them, shepherd them on this project. He says, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. So now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. And he's going to give them, because, you know, we can run down these, like, what does it mean to give and be generous? He's going to give them some boundaries, some railroad tracks to run on, if you will. Give in proportion to what you have, Paul says. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So not everyone's going to give the same amount. Not everybody has the same amount. And he's going to go a little further. Of course, of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. That's not what I'm saying. I, let me help you, guide you, shepherd you through this. He says, I only mean that there should be some equality. That's the word he's using. And he's going to go on to define exactly what he means by equality. He says, right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, that's what I mean by equal. He's not saying we all have the same exact stuff and the same amount of stuff. It feels kind of boring to me. <laughs> we have so many different personalities. I don't know that I want us all to have the same exact stuff and the same amount of stuff. But, but I think what, he's, what he means by equality here is there's a sense of mutuality. We're in this together if, if part of the body suffers, we all suffer together because we're one family and we're in this together and we care about one another. And so if I'm in a season of plenty and you're in a season of need, of course, I, of course I give to you. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? That's what Paul's saying. And he's going to quote actually from Exodus, if you know the story of Moses and manna from heaven. In Exodus, it says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. They weren't able to hoard what they gathered. They didn't have excess. They had what they needed. And those who gathered only a little still had enough. And, and Paul says, that's a good example. That's what I'm talking about. And then he's going to continue on and kind of, as, as he's walking through this project, this collection, he says, Thanks, thank God he has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. We love you guys. Titus welcomed our request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. And we're also going to send, you know, we've got to get this entourage. There's a whole group of people. We're, we're sending another brother with Titus. All the churches praise him as a preacher of the good news of the gospel. He's well respected. In fact, I didn't pick this guy out. He was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we take this offering to Jerusalem. This is a service that glorifies the Lord and it shows our eagerness to help. Now, we don't know who this amazing, impressive, fantastic brother is, but one of my favorite New Testament professors likes to look into the story of Paul. He's got his reasons for this, and he, he likes to humbly make the argument that this is Luke. <laughs> Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He says, I don't know that it's Luke, and if I'm honest, I kind of want it to be Luke, <laughs> I'm not sure we don't really know who it is, but it is fun to, to, to get into that world and think, who might this be that, that all the churches say, yes, he would represent us well. Maybe it's Luke, maybe it's someone else, but it's somebody who is very Christ-like in their, in their service to the churches. He says, we're traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we are handling this generous gift. We want to be a, 
held accountable. We want to steward this gift well. We want to take care of it. We want to be careful and honorable before the Lord. And, and, and we want everyone else to see that we're being wise, honorable in how we're handling this generous gift. It's a lot of money. We're also sending with them another of our brothers who has proven himself many times and has shown on many occasions how eager he is. He is now even more enthusiastic because of his great confidence in you. My love, Paul is not afraid to challenge the early church, but he also speaks such words of encouragement that the Spirit of God is with you. I know you can do this. We all have the same standard in Jesus. We're all, I have great confidence that you will follow Christ in this. So does he. So we, we see this in you. If anyone asks about Titus, say that he is my partner who works with me to help you. And the, and the brothers with him that we are sending have been sent by the churches and they bring honor to Christ. They are just amazing people. So show them your love and prove to, prove to all the churches that are boasting about you as justified. That you are who we say you are. That you are a generous people in your service of Christ. So that's our text. What I want to do now is kind of... Again, begin, begin a, a thoughtful journey around both the challenge of generosity in the world that we live in and the beauty of generosity. And I'm going to give you homework. You don't have to do it. I won't test you on it. Um, but I, wanna, I want us to begin thinking about this in light of Jesus and in light of what we often call where we live now, modern-day Babylon. I think one of the reasons why this call to generosity, if we really lean into it, and I want to lean into it a little bit in light of Christ, one of the reasons that we may struggle with the idea of generosity is because living in modern day Babylon has scripted us in a narrative of scarcity. Now, again, we're dealing with a financial situation in Corinth, and we'll talk more about that next week, but 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 as, as Jesus is rich beyond finances, this idea of scarcity flows into so many layers of our lives. And it's pretty much any time you attach the two words, not enough, to a fear that you're feeling. Not enough time. I don't have enough time to get everything done. Not enough energy. I, 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 don't, I don't know how, I, I don't, I'm just so tired and fatigued. Not enough opportunities. How, how can I move forward in life without these opportunities? I don't, I don't have enough power or influence. I, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough stuff. I don't have enough relationships. I don't have enough connections. There's so many ways that modern-day Babylon squeezes you into that kind of mindset. And, and that's, that's maybe the big homework I'm going to have for you this week is to to be self-aware and honest with yourself every time you feel the fear of scarcity in your day. I want you to see it, and I want you to name it, and I want you to sit with Jesus. Because in the person of Jesus, we begin to encounter something radically different. I mean, you read through the Gospels, and you know and you feel feel that he's different, both in the sense that five loaves and 5,000 people, not a big deal to Jesus. And as you read through his parables and his teachings, you, you get this sense that Jesus' mindset is so different. And you know, his pathway to this cruciform life is, is probably best articulated in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And if you're honest with yourself, your scarcity mindset, which as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you hear the things Jesus is saying, 
you'll, you'll be free from anxiety. If, if someone asks for your coat, you give it away, and, you, and you'll find yourself with objections and resistance of, yeah, but, Jesus, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I know, that, I know the world of scarcity too well to believe that there's abundance in the kingdom of God. So what I, want, I want you to be attentive to your yeah, but moments. Whenever you feel this not enough, not enough, not enough, because I really feel like most of our resistance, most of our objections to generosity come from a mindset of scarcity that is way more Babylon than it is kingdom of God. Again, Jesus has a, I mean, just read through the gospels and pay attention to what he says and what he does. Jesus' view of the universe is that it's a beautiful creation packed with an overabundance of resources and opportunity and and, and potential. That it's a generous gift of our creator to us. Jesus believes, it seems, that we are all being hosted by a generous creator. And if we can tune into that creator's love and overwhelming generosity, it will change how we live and how we experience all of life. We will, through his poverty, we will be invited into richness. As you read through the Gospels, you can't help but see Jesus advocating a mindset that says there's enough. You have enough and you can share with others. If you're lacking, I will provide. There's enough. In my father's house, there's enough. There's always enough. And if humans are creative enough and they love their neighbor enough and they pay attention enough, then there there will be enough for all of God's people. What's fascinating for me is I just did a deeper dive this week. I, I love kind of tracing some of these themes from Genesis into Revelation. And, and really this idea of scarcity and generosity is one way the Bible tells the story of sin. It's, I mean, the story of sin is complex in the biblical narrative, but this idea of, of scarcity and taking what's mine, seizing it before I miss out on it, it, it just it, it rumbles all the way through the story. That God is the generous host of all creation. It begins in Genesis. He created life in abundance, and he created humanity to share and extend that abundance. But throughout the biblical narrative into modern times, we find instead humans don't really trust the host. We don't really believe there's enough, and we believe that we know the best way to create security in life for ourselves. Or to borrow language from Genesis, we are wise in our own eyes. We decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong, what is beneficial and what is harmful. But our way of creating security doesn't actually create life. It fosters the cycle of mistrust, broken relationships, and it deepens pain and death. And I could say it this way, we don't create abundance, we create Babylon. That's what we do. We are so skilled in continuing to build Babylon. God says again and again that he will provide for our daily bread. We can ask him for our our daily bread. He promises to do that and and we don't really trust him. We, 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 We have trouble believing that God could possibly be this good and this generous or maybe Maybe if we're honest, we say, deep down, I, I trust God, but I have a lot of difficulty trusting his methods and his timing. I just don't understand them. They seem so 
upside down. I mean, what is God thinking? Why, why didn't he ask me about his tactics and his strategy? And so we, have, we know love is patient and love is kind, but we have trouble being as patient and kind as, as love is. So as you do your homework this week, your text is going to be Luke chapter 15. I want you to pick up in verse 11. It's a famous parable. I'm sure most of you have heard it before, the prodigal son. I'll give you a quick summary right now, but it's the story of a son who in essence, looks at his father and says, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance now. And, he, and the father just honors the horrible request, and, and his son goes away. And, it, and, and I mean, this, the parable is doing many things, but one of the things it's doing is asking us to really ponder the generosity and abundance of our father. So the son goes away, and he, find, he squanders it all, and, he, and, he's, and he's thrown his life away, right? And, he, and he's eating pig food. <laughs> and he starts thinking, man, my, my, the servants in my father's house eat better than I do. I'll go home and I'll just be a servant. And on his way home, the father sees him and just runs out and immediately transforms him. I mean, the love of God. <laughs> and, and of course, we're all meant to, to, to see ourselves as the prodigal at some point And to be the recipients of the abundant grace of God. And to know that we are welcomed into his family. <laughs> But if you pay attention to the way Jesus is telling the story, he's really trying to hone in more on the elder brother within us than the prodigal son. That's how he ends the parable. And that's what I want you to do this week. I'd love for you maybe three times, just in a, just in a moment of silent contemplation and prayer, to sit with Jesus, to try to be attentive to your not enough narrative throughout the week, the fear that props up, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough friends, what, whatever it might be, and sit with the elder brother and begin to just pay attention. To, he's on the premises, but he's outside of the party. He's outside of the party because he can't imagine that the father still has an abundance and now and now, and this is part of what gets into our way, that the challenge of generosity is that God is not only generous with us, he's generous with other people that we deem unworthy of his generosity. I mean, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, love your enemy. I mean, if we're honest, the generosity of God sounds great when it's coming to us, but it makes us radically uncomfortable when we think about being as generous with others as God has been with us. And yet it seems to me, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is, look, church, if you're not generous like Jesus is generous, you don't get it. You're not who you think you are. <laughs> if you can't love those who are hard to love when God loved you when you were hard to love, you're not understanding the grace and the gift and the beauty of the generosity of God. And I want to go a step further. I kind of came up with a little, because Jesus is, I mean, this is kind of a mindset shift to, be, to, to move to where Jesus is and to say, okay, there's going to be enough. Maybe it's not what I think is enough, but in God's perspective, it will be enough. I'll have what I need. God will provide. It begins to take a, mind a, mind, a mindset shift that says, it says I'm not afraid of, of there not being enough. There's always, there's always somehow a little, there's always more love to give from the Father. Somehow, I, I haven't lost out. And, and by giving away, 
God will just supply what I need. So let me give you another little story. Sometimes, sometimes every once in a while I'll click. I did this twice this week, actually. I'll click on those links that say, like, new $20 million mansion for sale. I'm not going to buy a $20 million mansion. I don't know that I even want to live in one, but I like to look at the pictures. It's cool that these things exist, right? And usually the ones that I think are the coolest are the ones that are either on a mountain, just looking out over your own kind of like private, incredible view, or they're on an ocean somewhere. And I like to look in the house, but if I'm honest, the things that I get really excited about are the outdoor spaces. Have you, I mean, houses now have like outdoor spaces that you used to only find at resorts. They're just incredible. And so I want you maybe to imagine with me that, that we got invited... Or maybe just me, because I'm going to be the bad guy in the story. But I, I got invited to this party at one of these mansions. And it's in an outdoor space that's like this big. And there's just the, the coolest pool you've ever seen in your life. And the most amazing landscaping. And, and whether you're a mountain person or an ocean person, just incredible nature view. And there's a spread of food, right? There's a spread of food. And I'll just, Kami and I and Jay, we get invited to the party and we see the spread of food and, and maybe we're getting excited about different things. I see steak and lobster. I smell it. And I'm so excited. I'm tapping Kami. She's looking at the desserts, but I'm like, steak and lobster. But it's a, bit, it's a pretty cool party. Lots of people are there. As I kind of am and eyeing in on the food, I start to notice a rather large bicep and I and I kind of take in a bigger picture. There are 10 guys there. They're, they're the offensive line for the local NFL team, right? And I can see they got short sleeves on. Their veins are popping. They lifted weights that morning. And I know their bodies are craving protein. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. These guys can eat. I mean, I got invited to this party. And I see the steak and the lobster. But they're closer and what if they eat it all before I get there? I mean, you understand, that's the, this is the, the, the mentality. And so I run ahead of them, and I just, I load all, almost all that I can. And then I run, I, I saw a pool house, and so I run to the pool house, because I don't want, they're bigger than me, they can take it, i got to hide my food from the linemen. And I lock the door, keep the lights off, I don't want anyone to know I'm in. But we'll let my wife be the agent of grace in the story she's been before. Actually, she honestly has. I, here's a moment of vulnerability. I don't know if any of you guys had this moment or not, but back in 2020 when there was the toilet paper shortage, I had a moment. I said, Kami, I know this sounds awful, but sounds like we're running low on toilet paper. <laughs> Should we go hoard up? Should we fill our shelves so that we have more than enough and we don't have to be afraid? Um, sometimes my wife is way more Jesus than me. She's like, no, we're not doing that, Jeff. That's, no, we're not doing that. That's why we have, there's plenty of toilet paper. That's why we have the problem, right? Because people overreacted to fear and took what they didn't need. And she said, I hope this isn't too much information. We'll use towels if we have to, Jeff. We're not doing that. So my wife, in my little story, she sees me go into the pool house, and what are you doing, Jeff? She tries to open the door. It's locked. Jeff, what are you doing? Come out. No way, Kami. I saw those linemen eyeing the steak and the lobster. I'll never eat food like this again. You know that, Kami. <laughs> Let me have my food. But she's on the other side, and, and I don't know if you've ever, I mean, 
as a Christian living, as you do come around to Jesus' mindset, you begin to experience what Kami would be feeling in this moment of, man, I'm in this party and I see the party and I'm enjoying the party. It's an amazing party. But I also care about these people. My, my husband who's locking himself in the pool room and missing out. And Kami's like, Jeff, I know you took all, it's so embarrassing, but you took all the steak and the lobster and there's only a few pieces left and everybody was eyeing you. You look like an idiot. But I'm telling you, I've been in the kitchen and you would not believe how much food is in there. In fact, this, I mean, this, this mansion is on, this one has its own lobster farm and, and, and cattle. I mean, you're, there's just no way we're going to run out. There's an abundance and beyond. And there's entertainment out here in the scene. You would love the scene. And there's fireworks. No, no, Kami, I can't come out. And I can give her, I can give her really good, I mean, the offensive lineman, that's really, I have really good reason why I need to protect what's mine. <laughs> but Kami has a different perspective, a bigger perspective. She's met the host. She knows how generous he is. <laughs> right, that's kind of a picture of the story of, of, of what happens when you and I are wrestling with generosity and what Jesus does, what Jesus should do for you and I. He should make us uncomfortable and challenge us in our Babylonian mindset to trust that there will be enough. I mean, I will tell you as a pastor, and some of you are the reason for this, as a pastor, the greatest stories are when somebody in our church family is in a difficult place financially, and one of you gives an anonymous gift and because it's anonymous, you never get to see their joy. This is one of the great privileges of being a pastor. I get to see the joy of how we're in this together. It happens as a part of the community of Christ. It's such a beautiful thing. And it's one of the reasons why we have global partners, because we believe we are a part of a global family. In the last few years, CrossU has given generous donations to war victims and famine victims and I mean, that's what, that's what we've done because we care, because of what Jesus has done. Jesus flips the script. He invites us into a different story. He renews our mind. And again, I, I want to be honest. Like, I want you to, to, to wrestle with this this week. I recognize that it's a pretty odd strategy that the Bible is claiming that God has. God just keeps giving gifts to humans and humans keep willfully ignoring and destroying things and mistrusting him. But it is God's strategy. <laughs> you know, maybe the most famous Bible verse is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. God's response to the death and destruction of the world that he orders and that he loves is to give it a gift. And then we're reckless, and what does he do? He gives another gift, and another gift, a gift of forgiveness, a, a new opportunity for, for repentance, provision when we need it most. And I want to say it this way, and, and again, this is part of what I'm going to invite you to wrestle with this week as we gather then again next week. In Jesus' church, as a part of the Father's family, the way you and I are to respond to scarcity to violence, and to fear is radical generosity. <laughs> That's our response. 
even if it's costly, right? Because we hold Jesus, arms stretched out on the cross, what we call the cruciform posture to be the ultimate standard of beauty. And that's the only way we break the cycle. If we respond to fear with fear, violence with violence, scarcity with creating more scarcity, we're just a part of the problem. But Jesus' solution is always to show up because his kingdom is so abundant. He always shows up with another gift and another gift and another gift. It's radical generosity. And, and I recognize that this takes faith, not only to trust God and his character and his goodness, but also to trust his method and his timing to really believe that the new age is dawning and there will be enough. Somehow there will be enough. That's what we're called to do. So as I've kind of been saying, what I want you to do this week, it's what I call a Kairos moment. If you've never heard me talk about Kairos moments before, I invite you to consider doing Formed with us. It's our discipleship pathway. I kind of do a little bit more of a training on this. But what I want you to do this week is pay attention to these moments of scarcity. When you find your, just subconsciously, this, there's not enough, there's not enough, there's not enough. Just notice it, just pay attention. When you find yourself wanting to hoard, maybe you find someone like I did with Kami. Look, I know this sounds bad, but I feel like I need to take more. <laughs> I'm tempted to take more than I need right now because I'm afraid I won't have enough down the road. I'm tempted to do this or do that to someone else because I'm tempted I won't have the friendship I need or they won't be there. I'm tempted to, I'm, I'm operating out of a fear of scarcity. I've been scripted by Babylon and I don't know how to be different. What do you think? I want you to, to, to sit with Jesus, prayerfully work through the parable of the prodigal son. And I want you to maybe even write down your objection. And your resistance to the generosity of the father to the prodigal who's come home. <laughs> I mean, I have a feeling we'd all write down different things because God's generosity is, is, is so upside down to how we've been trained to live in Babylon. And again, this, this is, but it goes all the way back to Genesis. You and I got to get ours before somebody else does. Because God couldn't possibly be that good, right? I mean, that's just where the questioning begins. Let me challenge his generosity. So sit with Jesus this week. And again, I don't want you to judge yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring a healing conviction where he decides, right? Sometimes you're operating out of a painful narrative from your past. And rather than come down hard on yourself and shame yourself more, maybe the Spirit of God just wants you to understand that you really were hurt and he wants to bring healing. And as he brings healing you will learn a little bit more about generosity. Or maybe you just have some false views about seizing what's yours before somebody else gets it. And then the Spirit of God will bring a powerful but gentle conviction and you can repent and begin to learn a new way that doesn't keep the cycle going of scarcity but actually brings forth this kingdom perspective of abundance and generosity. I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to your objections and your resistance, but I also want you to listen for the still, small voice of God that is trying to tell you there's enough. You're not alone. 
I see you. I'm with you. And I'm for you. Don't forget what I've done for you. You're not the only one sacrificing to follow me. You have nothing to hide and nothing to fear and nothing to prove and no one to please. I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. Listen, sometimes we hear the voice of conviction and we just stop. No, we hear the voice of conviction. That's important. We respond. But we we don't want to stop before the Father is also affirming us in his love and telling us how much we mean to him. And so I kind of want to wrap this time up. I, w- I want you to just prayerfully, if you will, you don't have to do this, but if you'd, if you'd be willing to close your eyes, it's kind of my closing prayer thoughtfulness here, to get, you into a, to get you into a posture to wrestle with generosity and your response to it and how generous you are this week. I want to read from Romans chapter 8. I, I love the end of this chapter. I'm not going to read all the verses, but in fact, the, yeah, the worship team can come up while I do this. But I want to pick up in Romans 8, verse 31. This is Paul. Again, another way of reflecting on Jesus being rich, but making himself poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. In Romans 8, 31, Paul says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Just listen to these words. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? And maybe you wrestle with, okay, I understand that Jesus is good, but, but is the Father that good? Is the Father for me? Well, I'm just going to tell you what Paul says. Paul says, since the Father did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto it. The heart of the Father is revealed in the gift of the Son. Sit with that Father. That's the Father who celebrates when you come home. That's the Father that looks at you when you're upset that he's being merciful to someone else and says, there's plenty here. You're not going to miss out. I've got you covered, but there's more of my love. So rest in the abundance of the kingdom. And then I can't help myself. Let me just read the last few verses of chapter 8. Just again, prayerfully listen to these words, these truths from the word of God. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. We are more than conquerors. And Paul says this with ultimate conviction. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. There's no scarcity when it comes to God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen?